Like we, as a society, as groups, as people, love evil companies. We first of all, we love to hate companies. Companies only care about money; they don't care about people. And it's ironic because most of the people I meet care more about money and less about people. So the thing they say they hate is actually a very clear reflection of themselves. So do they hate themselves? The real irony is that the games that we like, that usually have evil companies as sort of the entity that is creating the conflict within the structure of the game, is made by a shitty evil company. So let that sort of rest in your brain pan for a minute. So I'd like to talk about some video games, video game companies. If you're not into video games, it's still going to work for you because I'm not talking about the game. I'm talking about the company and essentially their mission statement. What are they trying to do? And then I want to ask the very simple question. Is that a sensible plan? The first one, this is one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites because it's actually a very good fundamental plan. It actually could happen this way. In the video game series Doom, which you know is very ominous in itself, there is the Union Aerospace Corporation. And this to me is the most logical mission statement of a evil company within a game. They create a thing called the Argent Tower. And the Argent Tower siphons energy from another dimension. And what they're trying to do is solve the power crisis or the energy crisis on Earth. It just happens that this other dimension that they're siphoning energy from, within the game, it is generally referred to as hell. And that, to me, is where the plan falls apart. The first part of the plan, we found an alternate dimension with excessive amounts of energy that we have found a way to harness and bring back to our dimension and solve all the energy needs of the Earth and every human being on it. I think that's okay. Now, dimensions essentially are infinite. So the amount of energy in there could also be infinite. Probably not entropy and whatnot, uh, but perhaps dimensions siphoning energy from other dimensions is how entropy actually happens. I now realize this is actually just the Rick and Morty episode where he makes his own battery, which somehow takes the whole concept down a notch because it's been done in a cartoon. Not to say that's not a high concept. I mean, it was a very good show. I'm not here to crap on Rick and Morty. I don't think. I mean, I don't know why I'm here. Do you know why you're here? Why you're taking the time to listen to this? Yes, it's because you're trying to stave off entropy with my voice. It's not going to work. The first part makes sense. They're siphoning off energy and using it themselves. Then they start making expeditions to a place they've called hell. Now, one of the joyous moments in my mindscape is imagining the board meeting where they're presenting the idea. Not of the expeditions. This is actually pre. Where they're like, hey, we've uh, found this other dimension. We found a way to break through dimensions. I guess the multiverse. We found another one that we can access safely. Uh, we've called it hell. 
I imagine there would be a pause at that moment. Very much, uh, what? Moment? Why are you calling it hell, Josh? Well, Josh would then have to, you know, uncomfortably reply, well, we took a look at the dimension and it was full of primarily flames and uh, there were some noxious gas areas. Uh, they still burn in a different way. And there were entities living there that we would describe as demons from hell, uh, literally from the Christian canon, like horns and stuff like that, uh, floaty heads with eyeballs and stuff. So uh, pretty much every description we have of hell up to now has been embodied in this dimension. So we're just, we went with it. We went with the, the nomenclature that we're familiar with. Uh, everyone who hears it's kind of aware of what they're going to be in for. Uh, we'd like to start siphoning off the energy from that place that we're calling hell and bring it back here and then use it to solve all our energy problems. Again, another spacious silence where maybe a more conservative executive would go, Josh, um, you sure this is safe? These things that you're describing as demons, they sound, uh, again, you've painted sort of a, a picture with words using the word hell. So I now in my head have a fairly solid image of what we're talking about. And I do, I do have some images of demons that I've seen, uh, Cenobites. So you're saying that this is okay. And, and Josh says, well, yeah, I mean, it's been working fine so far. What we'd like to do now is, is kind of go over and um, visit. After we visit, maybe bring some demons back. And that's where the whole plan falls down. That's where the whole plan starts to fall apart, in my opinion. They want to go and visit hell, even though they're already capably siphoning off the energy. And if these are demons, like, they're not. I mean, if you're being really technical, these are not demons. They, they fit our image of demons. They act like what we assume demons act like, but... At the end of the day, it's just an alternate dimension, so they're not really demons. They are just different dimensional beings, and we've invaded their space and started taking all their energy. I don't know if we're taking all their energy. Again, a dimension is a pretty big thing. It would take a while for us to make a dent. Humanity being the way it is, probably we could do it. So they bring some demons back and start doing experiments. And again, this is where, to me, it was like, ah, uh, if you had the thing you were looking for, the energy problem, the crisis was solved, stop there. But of course, that is actually where evil companies are become so convenient because they always want a little more. And that little more is always what gets people into trouble. Game to game, they shut down the connection between the dimensions and then it gets reopened somewhere else because it's the Union Aerospace Corporation gets shut down uh, and then at some point they're just like, mm, no, and they just keep going. So, bad idea. Uh, their mission statement, though, I think was right. They found an energy source. They're going to exploit it. I think that actually would have worked out for a really long time. It was the ambition to extend themselves beyond their own capabilities, which is tragic, really. And honestly, with the level of technology for interdimensional travel and opening up essentially a whole a pipeline between the two to siphon in energy. I bet in our own universe, they could have found something. It'd been a lot easier. There's a game series. There's two of them now called Surge. And the company in that is called Creo. And they create uh, nanotechnology. 
and that nanotechnology is gets into your body and you can then use machines. And the whole game is about having machine bits that you smack other people with. Again, this isn't about the games. This is about the companies and their sort of philosophy. Within this world, humanity has essentially exhausted all the resources on the planet. There's mass unemployment, primarily because of drones. So human jobs are being lost to robots, which is, these are two very realistic things that they've written into the game, which is pretty sensible. There's the environmental issue. We are facing environmental collapse. And Creo, with the use of their nanite technology, has decided that we can stop the eco-collapse. We have to shoot nanites up into the atmosphere and they will it'll blow up and then sort of cover the earth. The only issue is it's going to kill 95% of humanity. And it led them to a very interesting moral issue. So they were discussing... If we don't do this, there's very likely a chance that 100% of humanity will die. Or we can cause the death of 95% of humanity and that remaining 5% will live on, save the earth. Within the structure of the game, the executives of this corporation were not shielded. Usually that's something they do is like, we will survive and maybe 5% of the population elsewhere. They were included in that 95% they were just as likely to die as anyone else. Which to me takes it back a step, morally speaking, because if you're willing to sacrifice yourself in 95% of the world, if you're willing to include yourself in that, you have a stronger argument. The problem was that during the discussion time, and it was not like a short process, it wasn't one of these 30 minute, I've never been in a 30 minute meeting. It's always two hours. So this is sort of a bigger issue. There was more time spent on it. Uh, during that discussion, the nanites had come together and become relatively self-aware and started working towards self-preservation. And this meant that they turned on the workers that they were in who were using the nanites to help control the machines that were now part of their body. And they basically become zombies with, you know, Swiss Army knives for arms. I really like this one primarily because it gives you a solid moral issue that is not easily solvable and not something that it would be easy to pull the trigger on. They weren't inherently evil. And that to me is one of the benefits. These were real people with a real problem and they had a real solution. It's just that solution was horrible. In the second game, the people and the robots kind of seem to be coexisting a bit. That's kind of the underlying theme. It's vaguely less interesting. The first game, actually, the story is not very... <laughs> They don't really put it out there, but I take the time and go in and get the story. It's pretty cool. And I was very pleased with this bit of lore because they had made a real problem that would not be easy to say yes or no to. Save 5% of the world by doing something or let 100% of the world die by doing nothing. Probably the most famous company in video games even if you don't play video games i've never played the series this game is in but there's video games and movies this is the umbrella corporation i have an umbrella corporation shirt that's like a thermal thing you wear actually under other clothes but i have one of those and again i've never played a resident evil game uh, in japan it's called biohazard 
But they got movies. So it's actually very likely you've heard of Umbrella uh, without actually even having engaged in the media it comes from. Their slogan is our business is life itself. Mainly they're a pharmaceutical company. And over the course, because the, the company was founded in the 60s and then goes on up into modern times, they created a mutagen called the T-virus. And there's different versions in different games so then they can have different monsters and stuff. Now, there are two things that are problematic. And this is one of the reasons why I think this is not a good company. Uh, if we're talking about Union Aerospace, I actually think they initially had a right concept and the company was doing the right thing and then went too far. Creo had a solution to a problem that was untenable and I don't think they're an inherently evil company. So I actually was kind of on board with Creo. I don't really, not a big fan of forcing everyone into augmenting their bodies to become some essentially uh, cyborg workers. But now that I pause and think about it, how is that different from me right now? It would just be me doing my job maybe with a, a better voice box so I sound nicer. Anyways, Umbrella wanted to eliminate the need for large-scale conventional military operations. So they were creating viruses that could be targeted towards populations. So this is essentially uh, biochemical warfare, biological warfare. That means you're inherently evil. If your company is like, oh, we have a biological warfare division, you work for an evil company. Like even if the part you work for isn't evil, even if it's like the Cinnabon, uh, even if it's the Starbucks, your company is evil and therefore you providing sweet pastries is assisting people continue that evilness in the world. Just so you know, I'm not saying don't do it. I don't make judgments. If you want to make pastries that supply a corporate machine that is inherently evil, I mean, that is a choice you have to make for yourself. If you would like to talk about it one-on-one, -on -one, I would be willing to do that. But honestly, I'm saying no. I'm going to take a firm stand if the company you work for creates eugenics programs, biological weapons, you should not be providing them with pastries of any sort. The money created from these biogenetic weapons was created actually to generate revenue for a eugenics program. It's called the Wesker Project. That's only important if you play the game because there's a character in the game that comes back again and again called Wesker. I only know he has really slick hair and generally wears sunglasses. I don't actually know anything about him. Here are a couple of bad ideas, especially now that we're in sort of still the midst of the coronavirus pandemic when this is being recorded. The T-virus is highly contagious. So that means it's going to be easily communicable from person to person. And it has a 100% mortality rate. Now you can see if you are mortal and this disease has a 100% mortality rate, and it's highly contagious, and you can get it, that means you've created something that can kill you. You've created something that will come back and actually end your own life. So that to me is where you've made a mistake as an individual. You've created a virus that once it gets out is going to get make everyone sick and make everyone die. In this case, it turns them into zombies, but we'll just call that even. And it's going to get you. 
And of course, this might be where the highfalutin doctor God complex comes into account, like it'll get everyone but me. No, sorry, man, that's not how that works. But as a company, as a corporation, Umbrella runs into the issue of if you've created a disease that is highly contagious and 100% mortality rate, you have no customer base. Because remember, they are primarily a pharmaceutical company. You could say they want to create the cure for the T virus and then sell that to everyone and that's how they get super rich. If you've decimated the population before that can get out, you've actually, again, ruined your customer base. You've ruined the foundations of the economy. Uh, you have lost all the money you could possibly get because the world just doesn't exist like it used to. If you even design it so it kills off the lower classes. So let's say you have an antidote of some sort and you give that to the people that part of your eugenics program. But those people then have no one to sell to. And you might be like, well, maybe they don't want to sell stuff anymore. But I can tell you that all the people who work in this company, they're not growing food. They're not making products. They're not doing the factories. So they have nothing. They just have to live in a thing. They just have to live, let's say, in a bunker until their food runs out and they starve to death. So the long-term planning of this corporation is actually not necessarily evil. I would say stupid. I would say they're short-sighted and stupid. Also evil. Because again, just creating the thing makes you a bad person. Not realizing what you've done and how it's going to affect the planet makes you dumb. So you're dumb and evil, which is why I am constantly ripping on Umbrella. And maybe one of the reasons I haven't played the games, because I just can't handle that level of stupidity. Evil Within is a horror franchise. And honestly, I've played, there's two games, I've played both. I still can't really work out what the point of the experiment is. The company is called Mobius. Now, they've created a machine that if you have uh, certain people with affinity, not necessarily psychic, but certain, I guess, brain structure or patterns or abilities, you can go into their memories and create essentially a new world. The original guy who sort of was working on this technology had a sister who died who he loved very much. And he wanted to go back into his brain and see his memories of his sister. He just wanted to be with his dead sister. That's kind of sweet. Except, you know, get a photo book. Then you get to the desire to create a new world. And they're actually really just talking about the Matrix right now. So they're going to hook people's brains up to this machine. Within that machine, there's a new world that they maybe control or manipulate. Uh, and is it going to bring world peace or anything? Well, if you're all sitting in a tub, and quite literally in the game, they are sitting in tubs. You have to stop and think, well, what's the benefit of this? We're not learning anything that can impact the real world or improve the real world. We haven't done anything that will actually change the world around us. We've just sunk ourselves into this fake world. Now, the Matrix, as an idea, was that the people in those pods were generating energy to run the Matrix, which was part of the AI, and the AI was trying to stay alive. Evil within, within this game, Mobius doesn't actually seem to have an end goal. It's almost like they're just researching for research's benefit. Uh, they just want to learn what happens. The goal is not really clear. 
My problem is there are no scalable benefits. And that to me is one of the biggest issue of pretty much any thing that you would run across in a video game is have they figured out how this would make a real positive impact in the real world to improve the lives of at least the corporation? Like does the corporation itself benefit from this in some way? And honestly, having a bunch of people hooked up to a computer living in a world that doesn't exist, that has no real world impact, it seems like the answer is no. So is Mobius evil is a little harder to answer. They are doing some pretty awful things to people. But then making people work overtime and extra hours and stuff is pretty evil too. So they're no more evil than that. Again, they're kidnapping people and doing it against their will. That's, yeah, okay, that's bad. There doesn't seem to be any long-term real-world scalability to this project. And therefore, this project has no purpose. And to me, having no purpose yet going ahead and doing it is almost as bad as being evil itself. Very similar to Mobius is Armacom. Now, this is the game from the company F-E-A-R, which stands for something. Don't remember what it stands for. The game's called Fear. And this was primarily a military technology company. And their goal was to make a psychic baby that could control militarized clones. So in the game, you're going through and you're shooting a lot of things and you're killing them. They're not people so much as clones. So, you know, I actually think from a developer standpoint, that's really sensible because now you only have to make one model and they go, like, well, why do they all look exactly the same? Why haven't you made a variety of models for the enemies? Well, well they're all clones. It's the same. If you're going to animate a show, this is slightly off topic. If you're going to make an animated show with superheroes, one of the best powers you can give them is invisibility. It's going to save money on ink and less drawing time because you just have the scene in front of them and the person's invisible. You don't have to draw the person. That's just a extra tidbit from me to you. Armacom wants to make psychics that can control militarized clones. To bring out the psychic powers of the babies, they had to torture the mother who was also quite psychic. Her name was Alma. And you can see, this is actually my first issue. Is there, Right now, in the context of this, this story that they've created, there's only one person who can create these psychic babies. Uh, and they got to torture her. Can you not see any sort of down-the-road issues that maybe need to be dealt with before you do this? Also, she has to be forcibly impregnated. Now, they imply that. They don't say what actually happens. And I hate to imagine, since they're willing to torture, there's a whole scope of things they're willing to do. So this is a company that is straight up evil. They want to make weapons. They want to make psychics that they think they can control who are going to control soldiers. Which now that you say it out loud, if you're thinking along the same lines I am, why is a clone psychically controlled soldier somehow better than an actual soldier who can think for himself? Now, yeah, soldiers that can think for themselves may defy orders. Uh, they may have morals. Honestly, if you get kids young enough, you could probably train that out of them. I, I'm really now trying to figure out the benefit of a psychically controlled clone when you could just get a robot. It would be cheaper to get robots. So now I'm now thinking, yeah, I'm now thinking this whole thing is not only uh, a poorly thought out plan, 
I'm trying to think of the, some sort of benefit of having a psychically controlled clone over a robot or another soldier. I can't actually think of any in the long term. If you found the soldiers aesthetically pleasing, I guess that would be good. Most of the time they'll be wearing like helmets and stuff. That's another trick I learned from movies is if you only have like five stuntmen, make sure your stuntmen are wearing like motorcycle helmets or masks or something. Because then as they get beat up and or die, they can come back with a different helmet on and it's not a different guy. In a video game, it just means you wouldn't have to make more than one face. You would just have to have like one helmet model. You could just use that. If they're all clones, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Everything in this now seems really irrelevant. Torturing someone and forcibly impregnating them is going to make them unhappy and they have psychic powers. And the offspring they are producing, the whole point is they have psychic powers. You have been torturing their mother. So I assume you're not treating them particularly well in order to get them to fall in line. Like if we were going to do a pro-con list, I can see the cons, if you're thinking long-term, being very long. So I, I'm not on board with this because it's a really bad plan. And the evilness is just too evident. It's almost too evil uh, to be sensible. Which is kind of why I like, again, we go back to the very first one, the Union Aerospace. Their initial plan was evil, but also made sense. It's when they went and started bringing demons back from the other dimension here. That, you know, that's when I'm like, hey... Not on board anymore. Abstergo is a company in the Assassin's Creed series. And I don't know how many of those games there are. There's like 500 of those games. They are actually a front for the Templars who have historically fought the Assassins. And in the games, generally you play as an Assassin and they are shown to be the heroes. Just heroes that have very little problem cutting down humans in the prime of their life. The goal of the Templars, and therefore Abstergo, is to find technology from the first civilization. And so this implies, very early in, in the games, it implies that we, essentially Earth was seeded by alien life. We might be from the aliens, we might be a secondary species that were slaves to the aliens. Uh, they didn't plan out a story that had a conclusion because then they decided to release the game again and again. That's really bad storytelling. Having a story that goes ad infinitum is just a bad idea because stories are only satisfying if there's a conclusion. But if you need the story to go forever, now there's nothing you can do. You can never actually conclude your story and no one's ever happy. The Templars want to establish a new world order and the company's the front. It does basically everything. It's one of these like mega corporations. It does sort of make sense. Because they are, their goal is actually world peace. It just happens to be world peace under their version of what the world should be. The thing is, world peace, as we have seen, in the real world, is not a very easy thing to do. And maintaining a new world order over the whole planet doesn't really work. Uh, as you have further generations, and again, I think instinctively and naturally... People are born and they grow up. I mean, how do we get to this, this whole topic? People just sort of inherently think corporations are evil. They think governments are evil. Uh, so you're always going to have dissidents, even if you provide a really good world for them to live in. I don't have a lot to say 
about this company because it's less interesting. It's actually weirdly one of the less interesting companies on the list I've put together. And it's because their goals are so ill-defined. They're so broad. I want to bring a new world order. I want to bring world peace via my new world order. I want to find technology from the first civilization. But because the writers of the initial story didn't know that this was a story that was going to go for as many years as this company can squeeze out of this franchise, we're never allowed to conclude. So we're never going to find any sort of definitive first civilization technology. Uh, they've, they've caused problems for themselves. And I actually think this is on the writing side more than the actual conceptual side. The initial story was very engaging and interesting. And that's because they had a really neat idea. And they were going to go for it. And as this franchise got popular, then they're like, oh, but we can't give them an ending because that will end the franchise, which actually isn't how things have to be. You can always end your story and do other stories for the same universe. I have a real problem with Star Wars. I know everyone does, but Star Wars has been my whole life. I don't see why every story, like there's the three trilogies. Why do all of those trilogies involve the Skywalkers? Ray not being a direct lineage of the Skywalker family was to me one of the most refreshing aspects of the new movies. Because why does everyone have to be a Skywalker or connected to the Skywalkers? They could have had the original trilogy. They could have had another one within the same universe that just has other people in it. A different Jedi, a different student, a different teacher, uh, someone with, who isn't Jedi powers. We got the first side story, Rogue One, to me was very exciting. Because it didn't really involve Jedi at all. There's, you know, Jedi stuff in it. But that was, to me, where they should be going. We have a universe. Why are we focusing on a single family all the time? Yeah, they're Force-sensitive and stuff. But so there's some other Force-sensitive people out there. And you can make them more interesting. You can have more gray morals. Cartoons and stuff have actually gone further with that in some ways. But we're not talking about that right now. Let's get into... Not... I think perhaps, again, one of the evilest ones because their mission statement and what they actually do within the confine of the games uh, is pretty evil. And we're talking about the Fallout series. We're talking about vault Tech. They are the makers of the vaults to save humanity. Most of humanity uh, will end up dying if they don't have a space in one of the vaults. Each vault, I think, is designed to hold a thousand people. There are vaults all over the world. So once you've secured your place, when a nuclear apocalypse happens, you get to the vault, you live it out. Uh, when the world is able to receive humans again, you go out. Of course, the whole point of the game is you come out too early. There's mutants and things like that. The world's bad. But what, they were, what they actually were doing is each vault primarily was designated as a social or psychological testing facility. And this is, again, where I rethink that maybe they weren't actually thinking about the long-term aspect of this plan. And again, I would actually say it's evil, yes, but the biggest crime here is being short-sighted. Because you now have a very finite population. Let's say, I forget how many, there's more than 100, so there's 10,000 people, but let's say there's 150, so there's that many people left, 15 thousand people remaining on earth if you take x amount of those people as in most of them and do psychological experiments on them 
Yes, you have the results of those experiments, but most of the experiments, as I will get into a few, are so criminally and obviously designed to fail that you're actually killing off the population you're experimenting on, leaving you with zero population. And that zero-sum population that you end up with means there's no world left, so the experiments have no value or meaning. Now, people will point out that there are other vaults that have, you know, the scientists and things like that. But you need a lot of people to repopulate the world, to have a world that you can then use the newfound knowledge you have gained through your experimentation. So a thousand people per vault in 150 vaults isn't enough people. So I'm actually less annoyed by having vaults where there are social and psychological experiments happening, as in the sheer volume of that wasting the opportunity to actually repopulate the earth and then actually exerting any of your control. If you've learned how to control people, there's no point in learning that if there's no people to control. So there is an initial logic, but again, scalability is where this falls apart. Oh, I actually wrote it down. There's 122 volts, and each one has a capacity for 1,000 inhabitants. So 150 was a good approximation. And this whole thing was called Project Safe House. Now, there was one vault zero. So I don't know if they did a base zero to 122, which actually would be 123, or if it was base one, but they started at zero, so it actually should be vault zero to 121. Completely relevant. It's just I have worked on databases in the past, so that's, to me, where you start at zero or one becomes a very important and interesting question. Base zero, base one is one of the first things you need to think about when you're doing a number system. It changes all your math down the line. Vault zero is all the scientists in the military. And they were there to monitor the other vaults. So these are the guys who would be gathering the information that they would be gaining from the experiments in the other vaults. But that's only a thousand people. And that's not enough to actually create a new world society. And if you guys have all the knowledge and then everyone in that vault has the same knowledge, because you all have the results from the experiments, then using that, those results, that knowledge on each other is going to be less effective. So you can see my problem there. The interesting part is in Vault Zero, there were no actual human bodies. They took their brains out and connected them to a supercomputer. So even with all this knowledge that they could then exert control over humanity, if everyone in all the other vaults ends up dying, there's no one, like not even themselves anymore, because they can't, without a body, leave the supercomputer, which is very much like the machine from Evil Within I was talking about. Like hooking all these people up to a big sort of simulation machine doesn't bring you to any conclusion in the real world. So all the vaults had numbers. Let's go through a couple. Vault 3 was the control vault. This is the one where they didn't actually conduct an experiment and nothing happened. So you could see and then compare the results over time. But all the people in it were instantly killed upon release. So they lost their control group. And again, scalability, application to the real world, taking into account the errors. This is one of the issues that needs to be done if you're going to do good science. Vault 11, they had convinced them that they had to sacrifice one person every year. And if they didn't, the world would end. Just kind of like a bit of an inconceivable story because you're already in a vault because the world has already ended. 
But the people in it, of course, they, they had to believe what they were told. It then it got down to five people. So there was a thousand people. They sacrificed a person every year. They got down to the five people left and they just refused. Then, just like an old 1960s Star Trek episode, there was the big reveal that the whole point was to get them to this point where they became the sort of beacons of humanity. And they were told that they didn't actually have to sacrifice someone. And now that they've stopped, uh, you're good people. Which, since they got down to five, that's pretty sad. Vault 12, uh, they didn't seal the door properly on purpose. So this was essentially experimenting what would the radiation do to the people inside, despite the fact that we actually already pretty much know what radiation does to the human body. So that was a really dumb experiment. This is one of those things where they're kind of covering all their bases, I guess, theoretically. But yeah, I, I think we actually know what radiation does. So that one was pointless. Vault 19, they were given subliminal messages. And they ended up dividing the residents into blue and red. So I assume they're clothes. So this is essentially the Crips and the Bloods. And then they would imply through the subliminal messaging, you know, blue should hate red, red should hate blue, and then make them fight. But again, the result there is actually self-explanatory. Without conducting the experiment, I could pretty much tell you where this is going to go. Vault 68 had, 90, had 999 men and one woman. Vault 69, <laughs> nice, had 999 women and one man. Uh, so basically, yeah, you can always make up horrible things they're going to do to that one woman or one man. But what you've created is something that's unsustainable. And that is, again, self-evident. It's unnecessary. Vault 106, they pumped psychoactive drugs into the air, and it was initially to keep them calm, but then they all, you know, had weird experiences. That actually one is the closest to a real experiment, in my opinion, because they didn't do so much in the air to make them, like, hallucinate constantly and stuff. But at the same time, what are the long-term effects of this specific drug? It's actually a pretty fair experiment. Uh, Vault 108 is one of my favorites. Only because it has Gary. They had a cloning lab, and in that lab, they made Gary. And Gary was hostile to anyone who was not Gary. And that, in itself, is just entertainment. So we're going to wrap up with a couple more really quick ones. The Sylph Company in Pokemon. Now, I don't know anything about Pokemon. I've never played the games. I'm not into the mythology, the lore. So I don't really know what I'm talking about. Other than... You know, what everyone just kind of knows about Pokemon from it being in the world around them all the time. You hunt down animals and force them to battle for you and you keep them in Pokeballs. Now, Sylph is the company that makes Pokeballs. And the question is, is this evil? Because I have always, like a lot of people, felt that the whole construct of the universe of Pokemon is inherently evil. You have these kids travel around the world hunting to find the strongest animals they can capture them train them to fight do dog fighting essentially uh, and then you know zap them back into the ball and move on to the next battle now there's been a couple explanations that the inside the pokeball is, is like heaven and the pokemon are really happy about it 
the other one I've heard is that inside the Pokeball is like essentially another alternate dimension and it's just frozen in time. But the horrific reality of that is that the Pokemon are then in endless battle because they only get called out to fight, then they get put away right away. I know there's hospitals and stuff for the Pokemon, so you can heal them. But it seems like they just get drugs. You know, these are just roided up amphibians and off they go to just battle each other constantly. Now, the question is, again, having very shallow knowledge, it seems like the world economy is based on Pokemon. People from different regions, different countries, different places travel around the world fighting and fighting and fighting. They have arenas and stuff. At first, it implies it's like a sport. But within the towns and stuff, everything is Pokemon related. I don't know if you ever meet someone who doesn't enjoy Pokeball or Pokemon battles or whatever you're going to call them. But obviously, if the case is that everyone is invested in Pokemon in this way, and it's sort of the primary product of the entire planet, then... The Sylph Corporation that makes Pokeballs has an invested interest in keeping it this way. So from a corporation standpoint, this is actually one of the best ones because they've got a product, they've created the demand. So this is actually my theory is that they have created the games. They've created this economic structure and grown it and grown it and grown it till it's become the primary drive of the entire planet is to support Pokemon as a sport and they sell the primary product that you need to engage in it, Pokeballs. Is it evil? Is a secondary question. Because within the confines of the universe that I know of, everyone's pretty happy to be playing Pokeball. Those kids are all like 12 years old. They don't go to school. They just go around, become you know the best Pokemon trainers they can be. But there is the secondary issue of what is about the morality of teaching kids that battle is the singular result of any interaction, that conflicts all should end up in battle. So it's hard for me to get a strong opinion because I don't understand the world that this company is in, but it seems like they are the single most successful corporation to ever exist. Then we get to one, it's not evil. Well, it is actually really evil. In the Grand Theft Auto series, there's a, a drink called Sprunk. And it's supposed to be like a Sprite Mountain Dew kind of thing. The slogan is, it's the essence of life. Well, ironically, I just realized. I'm wearing a Wayland Corporation t-shirt right now as I record this. It's completely irrelevant. But I put on a corporate t-shirt from a fictional universe to record my episode about fictional corporations and fictional universes subconsciously just trying to you know bring it all together sprunk what is different about sprunk well it has 10 times the caffeine and 10 times the sugar it includes mercury ether and benzene and honestly it doesn't sound too different from mountain dew code red so i've said a lot if you would like to rebut anything you, there is a link in the description that you can click. It will take you to a website called voicelink.fm. You can leave a message there. You can call me an idiot, and I will respond by saying, no, I'm not. You can try to rebut 
some of the statements I've made, but you'll be wrong. But you know, it's good to take your shot. Colloquially, it is colloquially, it's because you're trying to stave off entropy. Pumped psychoactive, act, they pumped psychoactive 